You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Rick, welcome to Real Vision. It's great to be with you, Ralph. Thanks. So um, tell people a little about yourself, what you do, and then we'll also dig into your background a bit, And because there's a lot of interesting things I think people are going to enjoy. I'm a, I'm a little bit schizophrenic. Uh, I, I'm wearing a couple of different hats these days. Uh, I'm probably best known for uh, being the founder of uh, Edelman Financial Engines, which is the largest registered investment advisory firm in the country. Uh, we manage about $230 billion in assets for more than a million clients. We're also the largest workplace provider of 401k advice in the country. About 130 of the Fortune 500 are our clients. And uh, so that's predominantly what I'm known for. But at the same time, I'm also the founder of Readapt, the RIA Digital Assets Council. I created Readapt because I've discovered over the past uh, seven, eight years uh, that financial advisors know very little about Bitcoin and more broadly, digital assets, as well as blockchain technology. Uh, and that's, a, I believe, a really big problem. Uh, I was first introduced to this subject back in 2012, um, started investing shortly thereafter. And I am convinced that financial advisors are making a big mistake by their lack of knowledge about this space. Too many advisors dismiss it out of hand too quickly. And I think they're doing a disservice to themselves and their clients. So, um, so my activities of READAC, uh, are in addition to my being the founder of Element Financial Engines. What I'd love to do, because I, because I think you've identified something, which is the mindset of many of the RIAs and things like that. So I'd love you to take us a little bit through the journey of building this huge business that you've built. Tell us a bit about that, because that in itself is a, a greatest accomplishment. And then the crazy idea that you could then take everybody across the line and walk them into the future as well is is great. So let's talk about the past first. My wife and I started the business back in 1986. Uh, we were young, newly married, and like most young couples, wanted to buy a home. So we didn't know anything about that. So we did what we thought was smart. Let's go to a financial planner and get advice. Well, it turns out that that guy was awful. He told us to lie on our mortgage application. Basically, told us to commit a felony. No. We were shocked. We were furious. And we were like, if this guy can give that kind of advice and make a living doing it, that there's something wrong here. So we decided, you know what, we're going to learn how to do this on our own. And then we're going to teach others what we've learned. And that was the basis for starting our financial planning practice. Uh, we began with financial education. Uh, I quit my job as a journalist uh, to learn about providing advice. Jean went and quit her job and went to join Payne Weber, uh, learning the back end, the operational side of, of the industry, so that we could work together in forming our own firm. And financial education is what it was all about. We began by doing college planning seminars for local uh, elementary school parent-teacher groups, teaching parents of young kids why they need to save for college, which today is a no-brainer. But back in the 80s, nobody ever heard of that. Uh, they always said, go to the high school PTAs. They're the ones who care about college. Well, we know you can't wait till your kid is 16. Uh, it's too late. So you got to talk to them when the kids are very, very young. So we began uh, with that. And word spread. 
uh, we ended up doing these seminars for pretty much every elementary school in the Washington, D.C. area over several years. Uh, word got around. I got invited onto the radio uh, as a guest. That interview went so well, they invited me back and back and back. And eventually, they invited me to have my own radio show, which launched around 1991, uh, 1990, somewhere around there. And I've been hosting that show ever since. So it's about 28 years uh, that I've been hosting that program. And it's now the longest running national radio show on personal finance, airs in, I think, 86 markets around the country. And uh, I'm ranked by Talkers Magazine as one of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in the U.S. Uh, that got me involved in television. I've hosted my own TV series uh, several times. I now am producing a series of specials for public television. Uh, we've done six of them so far. Uh, and people started asking me, well, what book should I read to teach myself and learn more? And I didn't like any of the personal finance books out there. So I said, I got to write my own. And so I've now written 10 books on personal finance. I'm the best-selling author in the field of personal finance uh, who's an actual financial planner. Um, two of my books have won Book of the Year awards from the Institute for Financial Literacy. I'm the number one New York Times best-selling author. It landed me on Oprah. Uh, her favorite of my books was Ordinary People, Extraordinary Wealth. It was on Oprah five times. Uh, and uh, I'll be on do- I've been on Dr. Oz a lot. I'll be on again uh, in January with him. Uh, and so on. So it's really been all about financial education, teaching people how money works, showing them how to make it work for them, serving their best interest as a fiduciary. And as word has spread and our reputation has grown, it has generated more and more interest in consumers reaching out to us for help. And our attitude has been, as long as people ask for our help, we'll do whatever it takes to help them and we'll grow as needed. We'll stop growing when the demand for our services stops. That hasn't happened yet. So how do, talk us through how you help people. So somebody comes to you for what? How, what? What is it that you actually do for them? We are financial planners, first and foremost, and we use the financial planning approach to determine what the investment recommendations ought to be. Uh, so it's a goals-based approach not a market-based approach, meaning you're going to come to me and you're basically going to say, can you help me with my personal finances? And we will look at everything going on involving the dollar sign. We'll look at your income and your expenses, your assets, your debts. Uh, We will look at your family circumstances, your career, your health, marital status, family issues, children, parents, siblings. Uh, We will provide you advice in every aspect of personal finance, investments, of course, but also insurance, taxes, mortgages, employee benefits at work, estate planning, college planning, retirement planning, whether or not you should buy or lease a car, paying for a daughter's wedding, um, you name it, anything with a dollar sign. And along the way, by figuring out what your goals are, we're able to say, based on your current assets, your current ability to save, the goals that you have, here's how much money you need to be saving to get from here to there. And we design the investment strategy and uh, implement that for you. Implementation is really key to a financial plan. And then on an ongoing basis, monitor that portfolio, rebalance it as needed. We handle all the tax reporting and record keeping for you uh, so that we're handling pretty much every aspect of life that you're dealing with that involves money. So we tend to have very, very close and very long 
relationships with all of our clients. So here's a question for you that must it fascinates me. Is my guess is when you started, people were able to save less to achieve their goals because of returns. And now you've gone to a different, how, how does that work? Because it's a very different world. You know, when you started in the industry, the P of the equity market was like seven and now it's 37 or whatever, you know, whatever, pick a number. It's like expected future returns and returns over time, interest rates. How have you navigated that? So it has gotten more challenging, uh, no question about it, for people today, largely because of increased complexities of life. Back in the day, um, even predating me, I'm one of the older guys in this business, but even going back to the 70s and 60s, our parents and grandparents, they tended to have one job throughout their whole life, room to tomb employment. Whoever they started to work for in their 20s is who they retired with in their 60s. They tended to have one spouse, uh, and they tended to have one house. And life was pretty simple. Today, it's very different, as we know. The Department of Labor says that the average 35-year-old has had eight jobs. Uh, people tend to change careers very, very frequently. We also tend to buy homes sooner and sell them frequently. We also tend to buy, if you're more affluent, multiple homes in different jurisdictions. Uh, we also tend to have uh, more uh, frequent incidents of changing marital status. Uh, we have children from prior marriages. We have a very complex family tree as a result. And due to longevity, we have people living longer than ever. So we not only have the traditional two or three generation family, we often now have four and five generation members of the family. So it creates a much greater degree of complexity. We also have a much broader array of investment opportunities. In the old days, you only had two choices, stocks and bonds. Well, today, you have probably 15,000 mutual funds and exchange-traded funds. You have options trading and commodities. You have, of course, the new aspect of uh, digital assets and blockchain. You have an incredible broad array and easier access to all of these asset classes than you ever had before. Information literally at your fingertips for free in real time. When I first started, the only way for an investor to find out the value of a stock was to pick up the phone and call their broker. Uh, today, it's a free app on your smartphone. So it's gotten much more complex. Um, back in the day, it was hard to find a good book on personal finance. Now they publish hundreds of titles every year. We have entire television networks devoted to the subject of money. Uh, that was never the case in the 1980s. So you're right, Raoul. It has gotten uh, much more difficult, much more complex because of the changing environment we're in. The good news is, though, it has also gotten more accessible. People now have greater access to financial instruments. We also have better knowledge, if only from our experience of the last 30, decades, uh, uh, 30 years. And so on the one hand, it's gotten harder, but on the other hand, we have better tools. But returns, so, but returns over time have gone down. You know, for the industry overall, we've seen it in the pensions industry. You know, people's 401ks define benefits, define contribution. None of them are matching their goals any longer because returns went down. Because and this is one of the big challenges, since so many Americans are so dependent on their pensions to honor the promises they're being made. And we all know, as you pointed out that pension plans across the country, which are targeting about a 7% annual return, have not delivered that over the last 20 years. And the prospects of them delivering it over the next 20 years are not very high. We also have Social Security under tremendous threat. I created the Funding Our Future Coalition, 
which is now the largest of its kind of reformed more than 50 member organizations of think tanks, nonprofits, academic organizations, and major corporations as funders to help deal with the social security crisis because the trust fund's going broke. And by 2029, if Congress doesn't act, all social security retirement benefits will be cut by 25%, throwing millions of American retirees into poverty. So yeah, it has gotten very, very difficult and it is not likely to improve anytime soon. That's one of the reasons I'm really interested in Bitcoin and digital yeah, assets. I, I did the same. I looked at this, the pension crisis, and thought, what has a future expected return that is significantly right. different and uncorrelated? And this is the thing. Is right. that what you came to the realization with? It, it is. Yes, it is a very significant part of my investment thesis. And part of the problem, though, is that the investment community still, for the most part, doesn't get it. And that is a very significant problem. And here is where I differ from a lot of folks in the crypto community, because that's where I began back in 2012, 13, 14, uh, spending a lot of time with, with really brilliant folks, creating a lot of really cool products and services in the crypto space. And when I go to events and, and I hang around with these kinds of folks, almost all of whom are a lot smarter than me, what I discover is that they spend most of their time talking to each other and wondering how come they're not getting any market penetration? How come they're not selling more of their, wizard, of their they, widgets? They speak the wrong language. Absolutely right. And, and what I realized is that they don't understand how to penetrate the marketplace. And I get it as a financial advisor because as an advisor, I realize that I'm a gatekeeper. Now, you know, our firm is a little bit different because we're so huge. I mean, we're, we're off the charts in terms of our size, but the typical financial advisor has a few hundred clients and is managing several hundred million dollars. The bigger firms are managing more than a billion. There are uh, over 100,000 registered investment advisors, financial planners like me. And collectively, we manage about $4 trillion. It's almost hitting $5 trillion. Most investors work with advisors like us. They don't act as a do-it-yourself investor. Now, if you're a, someone trying to sell Bitcoin or persuade someone to get engaged in the digital asset space, if you go to an individual investor, you go one by one by one by one, it'll take you forever to get any market penetration. But if you go to an investment advisor who has a couple of hundred clients in their practice where we have discretionary authority, if I want my clients to own an investment, I just give it to them. I don't have to get their permission. They don't have to sign any paperwork. It's just automatic because of the relationship we have with our clients and the way we serve them. So those in the crypto space have to learn how to connect with the advisory space. And the advisors have to understand what this is, how it works, why it's of value to clients, how to incorporate it into their practice. The advisory space has to connect with the crypto space. We need to bring the two together. Okay, so, let's, so a lot of people watching this are very sophisticated in their understanding of crypto, financial markets. But a lot of them want to understand, okay, what language do these guys talk? Because, you know, I've been screaming about this because there's another problem, which is they all keep saying well, we want the, the pension funds and asset allocators. And I'm like, yeah, until you start talking about barrel models and <laughs> that stuff, nobody understands what you're talking about. You can talk about cyber hornets, you can talk about all this stuff, but they don't know that language. It's the language of risk models. So what language do, does everybody have to speak to you and what do you need from them to deliver to you? 
well, Lennon, Rome, act like Romans, right, uh, Raul? And, and so you're right. Not only do advisors not know anything of what you just said, they don't care either. What the crypto community thinks is incredibly important, well, let's face it, it is incredibly important, it has nothing to do with advisors feel is important. Here's the best analogy I can give you. It's a very uncommon person who can explain to me the principles of internal combustion. But everybody knows how to drive a car. That's the difference. Advisors want to know, basically and fundamentally, how does adding Bitcoin to a diversified portfolio improve the diversification? How does it increase returns while lowering risks? How does it serve as an uncorrelated or negatively correlated asset that genuinely helps the diversification model? I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate. I'm sure plenty of the people who work for you and people in the industry come to you and say, you're telling me this, but all I can see is it's a risky asset. Um, it goes up and down, it crashes, it's for criminals. How do you get people across into the, the narrative of now, not the narrative of six years ago? So that's kind of a challenge, Raul, is that financial advisors, here's the issue with financial advisors. And, and this is why I created the RIA Digital Assets Council. The most financial advisors have a lot of knowledge and experience. The typical advisor is over 60 years old and has been an advisor for more than 30 years. The more experience you have as an advisor, the more knowledge you have, the more training, more professional designations and college degrees in this field you have, the more that Bitcoin, that Bitcoin looks wrong, the more it looks like tulip bulbs and beanie babies. All of our classic training teaches us that Bitcoin is either a fad or a fraud. Stay away. And that's the challenge, is that it violates all the classic elements of our education and experience. So the trick is to convince the advisor to look beneath the surface. Don't judge the book by its cover, as they say, and take a deeper dive. What I challenge advisors to do is to prove to me that they're right, that Bitcoin is either a fraud or a fad. Prove to me that it's the equivalent of Beanie Babies and Tulip Bulbs. And by challenging them to that, the smart ones take me up on the challenge and they say, okay, I'm going to look into it. And I'm not trying to persuade advisors to buy Bitcoin. My message is simply this. There are a lot of investment products that are out there that we as advisors individually don't like. I'll give you an example. In our firm, we don't like annuity products. We give you a lot of good reasons why you shouldn't invest in annuities. But even though we don't recommend them to our clients, I am a pretty good expert on annuities. I know why I don't like them. I can give you a great level of detail, and I do in several of my books, as to why we think annuities are a problem for investors. Just because I don't like it doesn't mean I don't know anything about it. In fact, it's because I do know so much about it that allowed me to reach my conclusion. So if you want to hate Bitcoin, you need to know what you're talking about. And what happens is that when the advisors delve into it, when they do learn, their attitudes change because the facts are not the same as the myths. And that's really what it comes down to. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. So, okay, so now let's say you've now got, because as you know, it's a, it's a ground movement. You get a few advisors, they get a few clients in, the clients are happy, more clients come in. You know how it works. What products do they need? So they're like, yep, yeah, Rick, I'm with you. I like this, I get it. I can't buy this bearer asset. What the hell do I do? You're giving me something I can't do anything with. What does right. the industry need to provide to you to make you get the adoption that you think it deserves? And you're asking the key question, Ralan. So let me explain to you what advisors care about because it's really very simple. Advisors care about their practices and their clients. So as an advisor, I have some very simple and not very many questions. How do I incorporate Bitcoin into a client portfolio? How do I track it as part of those portfolios? How do I track the price, the cost basis? How do I compare its performance to other asset classes and investments? How do I explain this to my clients? How do I determine how much I should put into the portfolio? How do I determine which digital assets I ought to be using? Is it just about Bitcoin? What about Ethereum? What about Ripple? What about, what about, what about? There are so many coins out there and, and alternatives. What are the products I should be using? Because at the moment, there are very few security opportunities. There is no Bitcoin ETF yet. There's GBTC uh, and others like it, such as Grayscale's Ethereum product and, and others out there. But that is trading kind of like a closed-end fund with a premium attached. And advisors generally don't like closed-end funds. So how do I do this that is relatively low cost, meaning a low minimum investment, relatively low fee, low annual and carrying costs for the client uh, that are convenient, easy to use, and, and I'll say this most importantly from the advisor's perspective, how do I do it? so that I can continue to collect my fee for doing so. Because if I tell the client to go to Coinbase or Gemini or some other custodian, I'm basically losing the assets. I'm losing the control. Why would I tell a client to go do something that isn't in my best interest at the same time? So these are the issues that are slowing advisor acceptance and involvement. And the crypto community has to overcome these obstacles to make this not a burden, not a hassle, simple and easy for the advisor and their clients. So, I mean, it's clear that the obvious answer is somebody needs to approve an ETF, right? And that's, that's what you would say. I mean, you and I both know Hunter Horsley, and he's trying to get the, the crypto index through, which is a phenomenally good idea because it solves the problem of what asset do I buy? Well, you own the S&P and you don't ask what equities do I buy. You know, it's right. the same thing. So that's all that has to happen, it seems. Have you spoken to the SEC and all the regulators and pounded the table and say, guys, our clients, the retirees of America and the savers need this product? I'm a big fan of Hunter's and Matt Hogan's at Bitwise. In fact, I'm an investor in Bitwise as a disclosure. Uh, and I'm, I'm also an investor in their fund, in the Bitwise 10, uh, for disclosure purposes, along with a bunch of other uh, products in the, uh, in the space. And I have met, uh, and I shouldn't say met, but I have, I've, uh, I've met, not met with, but I've talked with 
um, regulators uh, in the space. And I believe that it is inevitable that the SEC will eventually say yes to a Bitcoin ETF, much the same way they ultimately said yes to a gold ETF. My concern is that the SEC is moving very slowly and the market isn't waiting. So we're seeing the price of Bitcoin rise dramatically uh, compared to what it could have been when ordinary investors could have accessed. So I think that eventually the SEC is likely to say yes after their primary concerns are overcome, custody and volatility. Those are the two, and price manipulation, really, not just volatility. Those are the two primary concerns at present. And I believe that they will overcome both of those ultimately. I'm hoping it isn't going to take too much longer because as the price continues to grow, ordinary investors are missing out on this opportunity. And that might be why the SEC finally says, okay, uh, they have to recognize that the marketplace is better off with them as a regulator than without them as a regulator because the SEC does such a great job in providing investor confidence by virtue of their oversight. And right now that's largely being denied to investors. You have GBTC and EBTC. Yeah, and even that with the GBTC, surely the SEC must be thinking, you know, it's not really good to get people getting into things that trade at 50, 60% premiums over NAB and the premiums collapse and people lose twice the amount of money they thought. I mean, or more importantly, people don't even understand that that risk exists because they don't quite understand the nature of those premiums. So, yeah, it's a complicated, cumbersome, and expensive product compared to what an ETF alternatively would be. There's also the issue of FOMO. You know, eventually, uh, not only the regulators are going to have to get in on the game because if they don't, regulators and other nations will, um, putting them ahead of the curve. But advisors will be doing that too, because let's face it, Bitcoin, for all the talk of the market explosion this year since March, Bitcoin is still the best performing asset class of the year, as it has been for the last one, three, five, and 10-year periods. So eventually, investors are going to say to their advisors, why aren't you talking to me about this? We're already getting surveys showing that almost every advisor is getting questions from clients and the dismissive nature of their response, oh, that's not for you, that's just not going to cut it very much longer. So we need to make it more accessible. We need to make it more mainstream because, frankly, that's how we'll get rid of the bad players. It's how we'll reduce the frauds. It's how we will help protect advisors from themselves as they're trying to get rich quick when, in fact, they should be simply incorporating it into a diversified portfolio. So... Let's set aside the ETF. I assume it's going to come in the next 12 months, but we've been saying this for a while, right? Uh, you know, my joke is that I've been saying we're going to have a, an ETF within 18 months, and I've been saying that for five years. So, okay, let's just, let's just assume then it doesn't happen. How do you help the financial advisors now? What do they do? Because they don't want, you're dead right, behavioral incentives are not aligned to let them go to Coinbase. So there are alternative platforms under development, some already being available, where you can even invest your IRA into Bitcoin, where you can use custody platforms that allow you to serve as an advisor. These are cumbersome. They are not primary players. They are not household names. It raises concern by the advisor who has reputational risk, as well as the investor who has confidence risk. Um, and it reduces the degree to which there is engagement and involvement by both advisors and their clients. 
So they these do exist. They're more expensive than they alternatively would be. But some folks are saying, I don't mind paying a 3% fee if I'm dealing with an asset that's growing double digits every year. So it's not ideal. And all of this, I think, helps to contribute to the need for regulators to say, okay. There's one other element, role that I think will accelerate this. In my conversations with major players, and you know, we could talk about the biggest names in asset management, the biggest names in the brokerage community, the biggest names in the mutual fund industry, there tends to be an attitude of nobody wanting to be first. And it's because of their reputational concerns. And I get that. I mean, if you're a multi-trillion dollar asset manager, why would you want to gamble your reputation or regulatory scrutiny or media inquiry if you engage in a space that is, you know, not ready for prime time? So everybody says, I'm happy to let the next guy do it, and I'm happy to be second. So I think what's going to happen is that someone somewhere, a small player such as Bitwise or perhaps Vanek, uh, they've been working at this as well, is going to come out with an ETF. And after that happens, there will be a race to be second. And you'll see the major players recognizing the incredible investor interest and the assets being attracted to the space that the barn doors will come open. And the acceleration will be huge. The snowball will really take off at that point. Um, so it's a bunch of not hurry up and wait, but wait, 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 and then hurry. Yeah, I mean, I, we saw last week, I think it was, or the week before, Rick Reader at, at uh, BlackRock. You know, we're right. seeing it. I'm hearing it. You're probably hearing it through our connections in the industry. There are more and more of these players coming in. Um, it's starting with the hedge funds first, obviously and the family offices, but it's about right. to come into the in institutional asset management space. And it makes perfect sense. I mean, when you look at it from a fundamental investment management philosophy, the, the low correlation simply makes a very strong argument because advisors love to, diverse, to diversify crime portfolios. And Bitcoin is legitimately the first truly new asset class in I don't know how many years. Uh, and so to deny us access to this is simply not in the client's best interest. In the meantime, you're educating as many people as possible. That's what, that's what I guess you're, you, you, you found your role within this to say, okay, fine, we wait for the products and get the industry up to speed ready for the opportunity. Yeah, and that's, you know, I have the same issue um, that I'm dealing with at Edelman Financial Engines. We're not recommending Bitcoin to our clients either because there's an absence of an ETF. We choose in our practice to use only mutual funds and ETFs for our clients. And so we aren't doing the esoteric product approach either. We don't think that that's wise. It's frustrating, but necessary. And that's why our focus is education, both at the advisor level and the individual investor level. And that's our mantra, get educated number one, Learn how this works. If you choose to invest, a 1% allocation is plenty. You don't need to do 5 or 10 or 20%. That is speculative. And recognize that volatility isn't a reason not to invest. It's just an inherent nature of the asset class. Uh, just like stocks are volatile and oil is volatile and commodities are volatile. It's just part of the game. And that's why you minimize the amount of, that you're investing. So treat it like a lottery ticket. If you invest 1%, it won't hurt you if it falls. 
or goes broke, it'll be annoying, but not devastating. And if it works, a 1% allocation will be fine. Here in 2020, a 1% Bitcoin allocation for a typical 60-40 portfolio would have increased returns 25%. So it doesn't take a big exposure. It doesn't take a big leap of faith to justify the introduction of this asset class to a truly diversified portfolio. So you're right. It begins with education. So you're educating. We're waiting for the ETF. The day the ETF is launched, there's going to be a preposterous amount of demand, isn't there? I'm assuming so. When the gold ETF was first launched, they raised a billion dollars in two weeks. And that was a long time ago. So I anticipate that there is going to be a significant demand for uh, an ETF. And that is why I'm encouraging financial advisors to develop their own education now so that they can decide how they want to respond to the inevitable client question, should I buy that ETF that just came out? so that advisors are able and ready. And to help facilitate this, we believe that financial advisors who have that knowledge will be ahead of the curve. And they'll be able, if they are smart, to differentiate themselves in the marketplace, which is why at Readac we're creating a certification program so that advisors can obtain the certificate in blockchain and digital assets to be able to brag to their clients I have this expertise. I am knowledgeable more so than other advisors. You can rely on me when I tell you what I'm telling you about Bitcoin, whether it's yes, no, buy, sell, whatever. Um, so we are very excited about our certification program. It's unique, nothing else like it. Very simple and easy to attain for advisors and it debuts in Q1. And that's all available for all advisors. So this is yes. a whole Pan America project that anybody can, can get this certification. Correct. This is available globally. Uh, it's designed for advisors, but certainly anybody else can do it, uh, any individual investor as well. Uh, it's 10 modules. It's an online uh, at-your-own-pace program, one quiz at the end of each module. And when you're finished all 10, you're awarded the certificate. So, I mean, a lot of this is going to be because, I mean, when I think this through my head, I'm a financial markets guy and I'm ex-Goldman, ex-hedge fund. And all I can think is the moment the ETF launches, this pandemonium. Because, I mean, I mean, how many, you said there's almost 5 trillion in the financial planning RIA universe. Right. Let's assume that 10 basis points goes into this. It's a big number. It's a big number. That's yeah. 5x what the gold one did in this first two weeks. Yeah, and I think that the, um, the inherent nature of Bitcoin, it is far more exclusive than gold, and it is incredibly finite, as we all know, with only 21 million ultimately, um, and that number much smaller because there's a lot of theory that 4 million are gone forever. Uh, and so it's a simple supply-demand equation. I think at the end of the day, that's what this conversation is all about. Uh, that's why BB Babies rose, and that's why tulip bulbs rose. They got carried away and blew it because there was no legitimate justification for either of those assets. There is a fundamental technological basis for Bitcoin. There is an incredible use case that Beanie Babies simply don't have, that even gold doesn't have. And that is the key point that most advisors don't understand, the incredible use cases in payments and in security and in distribution 
that really helps to explain why this isn't a fad, but is rather here to stay. Yeah, and we've got all the central bank digital currencies about to roll out. The whole world is moving digital. It's going to be a big change for everybody to get their heads around, but everything is about to change. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. And of course, the big uncertainty is what ultimately will governments do about Bitcoin? Will they allow it to continue as a private free market activity? Or will there be stronger efforts to regulate or even in its extreme prohibit? And will it be Bitcoin or will it be the next iteration that comes that hasn't yet been invented or isn't yet nearly as successful? You know, it's... uh, Everybody loves Microsoft Excel, but we have to remember it was first Lotus 1, 2, 3. I remember it well. Uh, So, you know, is it going to be Bitcoin? It is these unanswered questions, unknowable answers, that make it, to a degree, speculative. And that's why we say temper your enthusiasm. But that's different from saying dismiss it entirely out of hand. And that's why we have risk-reward, as you say. Assume it goes to zero, which it's not going to do. Assume it goes to zero but it can also go up 100x. Find me another asset class in the world that looks anything remotely like that. Even emerging markets, the most frontier of markets, don't have 100x, 50x returns. They might have five. Yeah, I I think that uh, when you look back, it's easy to say Microsoft was so obvious. Amazon was so obvious. It wasn't easy to say that at the moment. No. And I think that in the future, people will be saying something similar about blockchain and digital assets, that in hindsight, in the 20-teens and 2020s, it was so obvious. And I hope that people will recognize that this is a unique opportunity, and the best way to exploit it is first and foremost getting education. This asset class is unlike any other. There is no comparison in how it operates, how it works. It is all technologically based due to the exponential technologies that are available thanks to Moore's Law. And we need to understand this and get our arms around it so that we can give our clients the advice that they need that's in their best interest and we can figure out how to adapt it into our practice management. And in the crypto community, we have to learn how to communicate effectively with the advisory community. We've got to talk to them the way they need to be talked to. We, they, we need to address them and answer the issues that are of concern to them, because if all we do is care about what we care about in the crypto side, it's not going to get the market penetration. No. And until the crypto community gets that, this really isn't going to go anywhere. Yeah, I've, I've been preaching exactly this. So I want to switch gears a little bit. So let's go to you personally, right? You're a sophisticated investor. Um, how have you approached your investment in this space, which is different than you know, how the financial planners would, because you can take more risk. It's with your own money. You know what you're doing. You've done the research. So you've obviously got some investments in some private companies. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I began with Bitcoin uh, in 2014, and it was an academic exercise. I, I want to open a, a Coinbase account, see how this works, and I want to you know, buy a, a Bitcoin and see and just learn. And so I did that for a, a bit of time and uh, and began to, as my research continued, my 
conversations with so many in the crypto space evolved, began to realize there really is a there there. This isn't just a beanie baby. Uh, and so I uh, increased uh, our exposure uh, with my wife, Jean, and expanded into Ethereum. And I am as excited about that, frankly, as I am Bitcoin for totally different reasons. Yeah, you know, and this is something, I, you know, it's not, we're not talking about Coke and Pepsi. Um, we're talking about two fundamentally different aspects of this technological revolution. And you can extend that to Ripple. You know, the, all, the reason that a lot of these key coins exist is that they solve a problem that the others were facing. Bitcoin is not the end-all solution. It has a huge head start, you know, with 70% market share and a brand that none of the others have, but there's a reason technologically for the existence of these other coins. A lot of them are nonsense, but some of them make sense. So um, recognizing the cumbersome element um, of buying coins themselves, I, I chose personally not to engage in mining, too time consuming. I'm too busy at my day job with Edelman Financial Engines. I'm not going to go there. Um, but I instead uh, have looked at funds. And so, uh, and not just funds like the Bitwise 10, which is, a, uh, I believe, a tremendous way to diversify among the top 10 digital assets, but I'm so enthralled with Hunter and Matt and what they're doing that I became an investor in Bitwise itself. Uh, and I've done similarly with several other uh, crypto organizations, uh, folks that are asset managers, folks that are building technologies that are serving the digital asset space, um, folks that have different trading strategies. So some are highly concentrated in Bitcoin. Some are highly diversified. Some are day trading. Some are serving as hedge funds. Uh, again, I'm a big believer in diversification. And, and although it's easy to say the airline industry is here to stay, Pan Am and Eastern are both gone. So I don't want to bet on the airline. I want to bet on the industry. So we're, we believe in diversifying, and that's what we're doing broadly. In Have space. you not thought about setting up a sort of VC or growth equity fund for your clients to do similar things? Because it's another way of playing it in a way that is now becoming more accessible to larger audiences. Yeah, we, we have considered that, but there are two reasons why we chose not to. Number one, for our firm at Edelman Financial Engines, our clients are mass affluent for the most part. Our clients are generally not the high net worth. And so uh, under suitability rules, as well as ordinary complexity and fees associated with the space, lack of liquidity, et cetera, it simply isn't right for the vast majority of our clients. And we're the kind of a firm that we don't want to give a recommendation or an investment to a client if we can't give it to all of our clients. It's just the, the nature of the, the approach that we use. And it's right for us and our firm. Other advisors, it would make perfect sense. And many of them are engaging in uh, funds like you're describing. On the READAC side, uh, I decided that I don't want to offer product because that will make me like all the other product producers and I will now have conflicts of interest. I want to simply be an educator, objective, dispassionate, no hidden agenda, no conflicts of interest. And so although I think I could do well by creating a, a VC uh, fund, um, I, it's not um, in sync with my effort to be positioning as an independent objective educator, trying to bring together the crypto space and the advisors. And, you, and you've got a big enough firm to run as it is. Yeah. <laughs> Rick, look, this has been fascinating. Um, you know, I thank you on behalf of everybody for the work that you're doing educating people. You know, I'm 
passionate about both education, we are at Real Vision as well, but also really about people's finances because people don't really understand. And, you know, we see all of these shortfalls that we talked about. And I honestly think this is a way out for many people. It's not a get rich quick scheme, but it offers a 30 year old millennial who's got their savings ahead of them a hell of an opportunity to actually accumulate some wealth. Yeah, I would agree with you, Raul. And, and my only concern is that in the absence of mainstream finance engaging and regulatory oversight, it is allowing the perpetuation of some bad players. And it is creating an environment for ordinary investors to get suckered into abusive and even outright fraudulent engagements. We see the headlines periodically, the SEC shutting down yet another scam artist or a Ponzi scheme or who knows what, just like you see in stocks. Uh, And so we owe it to investors around the country and in fact around the world to come in with a legitimacy that we know already exists in the community to help protect them. And there's no one better able to do that than the financial advisors themselves. And so that's why I'm really hoping that we get broader adoption so that we can help protect our clients from the shady players that exist. Um, Because when it all comes down to it, Bitcoin is not the outlier that people think. You know, here's a fun fact. 145 stocks of the S&P 500 in 2020 have been more volatile than Bitcoin. And most of them haven't had the returns of Bitcoin either. A few have, but not many. And Bitcoin's not a stock. It's an entire asset class, really. Indeed. Rick, thank you. That was really, really enlightening. Really interesting. I think it's super important that the industry understands what your side of the industry needs. I know you're in the middle of all of this, desperately trying to get everyone to speak the same language, and it's brilliant. And I'm really so thankful for the work that you're doing to help spread this information uh, and to help let everybody know the resources that exist. If I can be helpful at READAC, uh, I'd be more than happy to. And so I hope folks will feel free to reach out to me. Perfect. Thanks ever so much. And we'll, we'll get you back to find out where the journey goes, maybe in a year's time when they finally launch the ETF. Uh, well, let's hope you're right. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.